All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from Millbrae, California. That's a suburb of San Francisco where my wife and I have traveled to celebrate the first birthday of our granddaughter, Edith Catherine. Uh, it is the 20th day of September 2022 and really uh, glad to be with you again. Before I talk more about today's show, let me remind you that I do write a newsletter called J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can sign up for that letter by going to miningstocks.com. Miningstocks.com. I'd also like to encourage you to consider subscribing to Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Go to chenpicks.com for that. Chen especially uh, big on the biotechs now and, and on silver, I might mention as well. And although Michael Oliver isn't with us today, I do like to remind you uh, that his newsletter, which is very good, uh, you go to olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com to sign up for Michael's letter. And I do want to thank all of you for uh, making this show one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel and uh, for sending along your questions, comments, whatever comments you have about the show. We're always happy to hear from you. Uh, send them to questions for taylor at gmail.com. Questions number four, taylor at gmail.com. And of course, without our sponsors, we wouldn't have a show. Our sponsors for today, um, we want to thank them Irving Resources, Novo Resources, and Laurel Resources, Reina Gold Corp, Timberline Resources, and Lion One Metals. <clears throat> I've titled today's show An Asian Bretton Woods. Where does that leave America? Uh, Alistair McLeod, Michael Wood, and Patrick Highsmith are scheduled uh, guests for today. The financial war between Russia and China's tacit backing on one side and America and her NATO allies on the other has escalated rapidly. It appears that President Putin was thinking several steps ahead when he launched Russia's attack on Ukraine. We have seen sanctions fail. He we have seen Russian, Russia achieve record export surpluses. We have seen the ruble become the strongest currency on the foreign exchanges. We are seeing the West enter a new round of European monetary inflation to pay everyone's energy bills. The euro, yen, and sterling are already collapsing. And according to Alistair McLeod, who will be with me in the second half of today's show, the dollar will be the next to head towards the dustbin of history. So from Putin's point of view, things are progressing quite well. Russia has progressed her power over Asian nations, including populous India and Iran, 
and has persuaded Middle East oil and gas producers that their future lies with Asian markets, not with Europe. Russia is subsidizing Asia's industrial revolution with discounted energy prices. Thanks to the West's sanctions, Russia is on its way to confirming Halford Mackinder's predictions made over a century ago that Russia is the true geopolitical center of the world. There is one piece in Putin's jigsaw yet to be put in place, a new currency system to protect Russia and her allies from an approaching Western monetary crisis. Alistair believes and will explain in the second segment why he thinks Putin is now assembling a new gold-backed multi-currency system by combining plans for a new Asian trade currency with his new Moscow world standard for gold. So, Again, we'll be talking to Alistair McLeod about these topics, uh, this issue, uh, these geopolitical issues and economic issues in the second segment uh, or in the second half of today's show. In the second segment of today's show, Michael Wood will talk of Reina Gold Corporation's emerging gold discovery in Mexico. Now, last week, Patrick Highsmith uh, was uh, with me and we had anticipated that he would have some assay results that uh, he anticipated they'd be pretty good uh, based on what he saw um, you know, as a geologist, but he couldn't say anything at that point because, well, we just really didn't know uh, what the assays were. So uh, it was about a day later or so that he got those assays, and I'm happy to tell you that Patrick is with me right now to, uh, to give us some perspective on those assays. Um, uh, Patrick, are you there? I am. Good afternoon, Jay. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. And I guess it was last Wednesday uh, when the assays came out, the day after our show, if I have that right. And uh, it was the first four holes drilled from the company's 2022 drill program. Uh, and they were quite encouraging, I believe. Maybe you would uh, just explain to our listeners what you've learned from these first four drill holes uh, and what they might mean for the project longer term. Absolutely, Jay. And it's good to be back with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, these were the first four holes. We're drilling around 20, 25 holes or so in this program, uh, Jay, and this is the first, say, 1,500 meters of about 7,000 meters in that program. And, and we're getting close, 75, 80% done with it, Jay, but the assays have finally started coming in. And, and really, the significance is each of these four holes, Jay, hit significant gold. By that, we mean a significant width exceeding uh, a sort of cutoff grade of, of uh, 0.3 grams or better, and we reported those in the release. But the highlights, I think, are not only did all the holes hit significant gold, Jay, but three out of the four yielded assays within those intervals of greater than 10 grams per ton. So best mm-hmm. of all, at the Eureka Project, we keep hitting high grade as our drill programs progress. And, of course, the highlight here was one hole, uh, hole 226, which was a 75-meter step out from one of those thick high-grade holes we announced in the first quarter of the year. And it was a really nice extension, Jay. We pushed things 75 meters further south, and we hit 22.8 meters of 4.29 grams per ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, very respectable intercept. But within that, we had 7.6 meters of 11.56 grams per ton, Jay. Mm-hmm. So really yeah. nice high-grade in that hole, and it just tells us 75 meters further south, this zone keeps going. And you might remember from the maps I've showed you, Jay, and that your, your listeners can see in the news release, this thing's wide open to the south. This is the southernmost hole we've drilled there, and really there's hundreds of meters 
uh, to the south that need to be tested. And super exciting results from both the center and the south end of the water well zone discovery at the Eureka Project. Right. And so, uh, yeah, these are good. These are good mining widths. These are good intersections. And, um, I, and when you look at uh, gram meters, they, they score very nicely. Uh, what so it can so you have if you give us some sort of sense of several hundred meters, you say, is, is your where you'll be drilling next to, the, to round out your your program this year. Are there drill holes somewhere other than the water zone? Water yeah, well zone. We show on the we actually show on the map on the news release, Jay, several holes that are uh, either planned or, or have been completed for which we don't have assays yet. And folks will see that we have holes around the holes we just announced. A couple of holes to the east side there in the water well zone and several at the north. We also have uh, holes a little farther afield. We have a, a reverse circulation hole well to the north, a few hundred meters to the north. Uh, again, doing some real exploration up there. And over at the Oswego zone, about a kilometer and a half east of here, uh, we also put in a couple of holes uh, for which we're awaiting assays, Jay. So I'd say about 80% of the program is, is along this water well and lookout mm -hmm. trend, and then a mm -hmm. few holes elsewhere. But uh, mm -hmm. folks can see on that map where to expect uh, the next round of results to come from. Now these, uh, can you give us a sense of what the depth of this, these intersections are, how, how far below surface? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. These that I just announced, including that high-grade uh, interval, mm -hmm. were uh, the deeper part of the system, Jay. They begin at 340 meters depth. Okay, so, uh, so around 1,000 feet, a little bit more than 1,000 feet deep. That's consistent with the previous high-grade intercepts on the south side of the water well zone, in particular hole uh, 220, sorry, 212C, which was a nice high-grade hole as well. But on the northern end of the water well zone, you may remember up at hole 220C, uh, there the top of the zone was only 140 meters uh, below surface or around 500 feet. So mm -hmm. there is uh, variability in this zone that we're drilling, Jay. It's been both faulted and folded around. And so if, if one thinks about looking forward, there's a shallower end at the north of the system, and it gets deeper at the south of the system. And we'll just have to see where that takes us. But that's all the more importance uh, in the fact that we're seeing significant widths of more than three, more than five, more than 10 grams per ton gold mineralization within these zones so that they might support uh, extraction by underground methods in the future, mm -hmm. uh, as well as in some areas, there's certainly potential for uh, open pitable resources. Yeah, and you do have a resource there, I think, if memory serves me correctly, something over a half a million ounces, I believe, of lower-grade oxides that, uh, that might be mineable in conjunction with higher-grade underground uh, gold, in theory, at least. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. The existing resource does come to surface and so that's a great start, as you know, Jay. Even if that material is low-grade, it helps pay for, were there to be a mining scenario here, it could potentially help pay for the extraction of deeper resources, the fact that you've got mineral coming to surface. But we're chasing grade here, Jay. These are the kind of roots we were hoping to drill into. There's several intervals reported in this release. I've only touched on the... The, uh, the, the sort of the highest profile values, but a really good result. And, uh, you know, kicking off a drill program with, with the first four holes uh, hitting significant widths of gold and three of the four having more than 10 grams per ton in them, uh, it's a really good start to the drill season. Very encouraging, no doubt about it. And this is, I believe, a, a, a Carlin-style model that you're looking at. 
That, that's right. The Eureka uh, District is a host to Carlin-type mineralization, Homestake and Barrick were mining it there before, uh, up at the Ruby Hill Archimedes Project, where I-80 Gold continues to advance that project to reopen mm-hmm. that mine. And we've been drilling it down here in the south end of the district for some years and, and have confirmed this is Carlin-type gold mineralization. So how soon are we going to see some more assays? Do you have a, a sense of that? Well, uh, we're getting some in every day now that we're into the groove. We're into the results mm-hmm. season, as we like to say. I would say no more than no more than uh, three weeks, uh, Jay, maybe two to three weeks. We'll, and we're trying to release them in orderly batches of a few yeah. holes and hopefully kind of geographically clustering so people can kind of locate themselves on the maps as mm-hmm. we announce. Yeah, that's very helpful. All right. Well, it, it's, it looks very encouraging for sure. I'm really happy. Uh, for you and um, as a shareholder myself and as a sponsor, really pleased uh, to hear the good news and we look forward to hearing some more in the near term. Thank you so much, Thank Patrick, much, for being yeah. with us. All righty. Okay, folks, we, uh, we, do have to, we do have to go to break, but don't go away because Michael Wood, he's the CEO of Arena Gold Corp., will be with me when we return. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have Michael Wood, the CEO of Reina Gold Corp., with me once again today. Uh, before I say hello to Michael, uh, who had, has had a really interesting background in law enforcement, having worked as a detective, a detective conducting counterterrorism investigations for Scotland Yards, Counterterrorism Command, Wow, what a what a path to um, a CEO of a mining company, but very unusual. But those same skill sets, no doubt, are being employed uh, investigation and so forth to investigating and in, in the hunt for uh, money in the ground, so to speak. But he has also, after working in law enforcement, uh, has worked uh, in the financial realm, working for Emerging Markets Capital. It's a Hong Kong-based private investment and advisory firm. 
and as I mentioned, is now the CEO of Reina Gold Corp. And Reina Gold Corp uh, is it's a company focused on district scale exploration on two major gold belts in Mexico. The company has a portfolio of assets on the Mojave Sonora Mega Shear and the Sierra Madre Gold and Silver Belt, consisting of over 57,000 hectares or 570 square kilometers. Um, although some 35 million ounces of gold have been discovered in this area of Mexico and Sonora, they're still very much underexplored compared to those same belts that hosted an awful lot more gold up there in Nevada into the United States. So a lot of hope and a lot of reason to be hopeful uh, for some major discoveries on the part of Rena Gold, which is really uh, why I'm happy to have Michael with me. Again, I should tell you before I say hello to Michael, uh, you can buy the stock in Canada under the symbol R-E-Y-G. And you can buy it in the States under R-E-Y-G-F. 66 million shares outstanding and uh, recently selling at about 12, 13 cents U.S. money. Gives it a market cap of under 8 million, well, let's say under $10 million in U.S. money. Really a baby company, uh, but one I think that has a great deal of upside potential. So, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, great to be here, Jay. Thanks for having me. Because management is so important, Michael, and I, I would your management team and advisors are so impressive. Maybe just very quickly mention some of the names that are involved with your company, uh, because I like to start with that, because there's nothing more important. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, Dr. Peter McGaugh, who, who most people in the exploration sector are familiar with, the founder of MagSilver, um, is a, is a chief technical advisor. It was really Peter's idea to form the company and focus on this district scale exploration in northwestern Mexico. He's, he's a strong uh, advocate of the view that, like you mentioned, these, these major gold trends from the west coast of America extend down into Mexico and are vastly underexplored. So we're lucky to have Peter. We have Doug, Doug Kerwin, who was, uh, Robert Friedland's VP of Exploration for 17 years. And more recently, actually, I just was on a call with him just now. We have Dr. Tony Lungo, who is a great geologist, a really great expert, uh, American uh, based in Nevada, worked for Newmont for many years and is a great expert on uh, on carlin style deposits and also did a lot of work in northwestern Mexico as well. So mm-hmm. Tony's brain power into the team as well. So, you know, on top of that, we have Peter Jones, who was the founder of Hus Bay as a director. We have Steve Lightwin, who was the CEO of of Iron Gold, we really so we're really very blessed to have a top notch, top notch personnel involved. Indeed, uh, that is a very impressive uh, management team that you've put together there, Michael. Um, last time we spoke was May twenty fourth, um, but just recently, September seventh, in fact, you put out a news release. I guess uh, having to do with some twenty two drill holes that are part of your ongoing ten thousand meter. Uh, drill program in in Sonora. What what can you tell us about the results uh, that you reported on on September seventh? Yeah, we, we're delighted with the results. We um we hit basically sixty meters, fifty nine meters of one point four five grams gold from surface. Now, in the Sonoran Desert, um, that's a great intercept. What this is exactly what we're looking for. Um, we want to get good mineralization close to surface. And uh, one and a half grams across the surface is a great intercept uh, uh, of that kind of length, basically 60 meters. So this is this is a big step forward for our exploration program. And we're definitely honing in now to this part of the property, which is called La Republicana. The team has now mapped. This was drilled into a, a known major vein at surface that we've called the La Republicana vein. The team has now mapped that for 800 meters on surface, trending on the regional northwest trend. So we're planning extensive follow-up drilling around the 60-meter intercept, 
and uh, you know looking to get out more similar holes like that before year end and if we can start to show that scale in the kind of range of 800 meters of um, 60 meters width and that kind of grade then already we're starting to build a substantial uh, mineral deposit up so it's a big big step forward for us we're really delighted it's exactly what we were looking for this kind of uh, continuity of, of mineralization close to surface so delighted with that and then on top of that we also got a really exceptional silver grade we got we, we, we knew there was silver on the property and on all the trend, uh, on all the properties, sorry, on the Mojave Basin or making sure they have silver credits. And, um, you know, we were getting kind of 20 to 50 grams of silver in some of the intercepts. But then we hit an intercept of 5.5 meters of basically a kilo of silver, 935 grams of silver. So extremely high silver grade on the property. And what we found is in this part of the property, we found a bridgeheaded zone that is hosting high-grade silver and copper and lead and zinc. In that intercept, we also had a one meter one meter intercept of 0.93% copper, again, close to this. So this is also an interesting discovery, and this is down in our main zone target, where before we were just finding primarily gold with a little bit of silver credits kicked in, and then all of a sudden we found a new brecher that is hosting high-grade silver, copper, lead, zinc. So again, follow-up work is being planned around this, and a big step forward, and we're looking actually, the team's been doing a lot of area around this, what we call the big pit part of the main zone, which is a brecherated zone, trying to extend it because again it's a very easy kind of style of minimization we want which is bulk minimization close to surface so we're actually now working west of the uh, the original target and finding a lot of similar similar uh, signatures at surface and we'll, we'll do some drilling into this new target we're calling las carmelitas as well uh, before the year end so the main zone I, th- I guess you call it the main zone you've got you mentioned the big pit You've got uh, Peak V-Hill, I think is the way you'd pronounce it, and there's some plaster yeah. mineralization. Is that where the the main focus is uh, on the main zone? That seems to be where most of the work has been done so far. That's where most of the historic work was done, and that's where we started off. But th- this discovery at La Republicana it, it is a big step forward, and, you know, 60 meters of one and a half grams wow. is very interesting. So that's a big step forward. We've not had discoveries like that in the main zone. In the main zone, we've had like 30 meters of half a gram. Obviously, this stellar silver intercept of five and a half meters. We also got a, an eight meter intercept of gold at four grams, again, close to surface. But La Republicana is a big step forward. And what we're finding at La Republicana is it's in a, vo- a volcanic host rock, and it seems to be a very good host rock for mineralization on the property. We've been doing a lot of sampling around the area in preparation for this initial drilling. And uh, the, uh, we've done 270 samples in La Republicana into this volcanic host rock. We've got grades up, grades up to 103 grams of gold, 290 grams of silver, and 1.3% copper. And the average grade actually on the gold, just to show the, the amount of potential mineralization there, the average of those 270 samples is 1.4 grams. Hmm. So definitely seems a very favorable host rock. The team is now looking for that in different parts of the property as well and finding it. We're finding it in the western part of the property, up to 6.5 kilometers west of this Labour Public Car area. We're finding it three kilometers north and basically three kilometers south. Hmm. So this this is a big step forward for us. And I think Main Zone, although it's interesting and will be a host of bulk mineralization, I think the, the focus is now moving to Labour Public and then the extensions of Labour Public more in that northern part of the property. Yeah, I, I would imagine you're talking about oxides there primarily and, and yeah. probably yeah. – uh, have you had any? Um, I know it's early early days, but uh, any um, any metallurgy been carried out? Not yet, not yet. Oh. But mm-hmm. all, all the deposits on the trend are oxide. The, mm-hmm. the uh, Alcinate, right by our property, the Alamos mine that was mined out, was 
with oxide and very similar mineralization as the, the operating first nail mines uh, just north of us. So we haven't done any work yet, but the indications are that, yeah, it's oxide material and would be heat bleachable, um, which obviously is a big benefit from the economics. You know, the, the cost of both uh, construction and operation on a heat bleach deposit is substantially less than a deposit where you've got to do some uh, some milling up front. Yeah, well, you you have such a gigantic project. How far away is uh, La Republicana from the main zone? It's six point five kilometers uh-huh. uh, north northwest, basically on the on that trend. So that's the stretch we've worked on so far. The six point five kilometer stretch, and you know, the silver intercept is down at the bottom in the main zone, and this sixty meter, the sixty meter gold intercept is in the northern part of La Republicana. So already a big stretch of. Of, of mineralization that we're identifying uh, and we want to go we're definitely keen on going west this whole western part of the property we we've always been keen on and we've been doing extensive field work there over the summer and identifying a number of targets and we, we're definitely keen to get the the drilling going into the western part of the property and expand we, we, we've basically expanded on the on the northwest trend mm-hmm. I believe we go west and we will expand you know the width as well of this trend uh, and then substantially the the, the target area so uh, we're a big footprint already. And yeah, like you say, we, we have such a big property. We have 24,000 hectares, 240 square kilometers uh, with lots of targets. But we've really been focused initially on, on the 6.5 meter tra- uh, kilometer trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you certainly do have, uh, you know, so you have to wonder uh, such a large target. I guess, I guess now that the, this La Pro- uh, Republicana does seem to be really very exciting from what you're telling me. I guess, uh, are there more drill holes uh, in the lab or are those 22 you have out so far? Everything that you've drilled so far you have back or? Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, that's everything. No, no, no pending at the moment, uh, Jay. We, uh, we actually stopped the drill turning at the beginning of August. Uh, sorry, end of July, I think it was now. So, uh, and we've been doing a comprehensive uh, structural geology report. We've got a, a very highly regarded structural geologist on site doing a comprehensive report. And, and until that's finished, we won't start drilling again. So, with the, 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 we're online. The report should be done kind of the end of September, early October, and then at that point, we'll we'll, we'll start drilling again, and then hopefully get some the next batch of results out before year end is what I would love to do. And I think some follow-up holes around La Republicana of a similar nature will give us a lot of traction in the market. Um, funding? Are you are you well funded at this stage? Yeah, yeah, we still have seven million dollars Canadian, seven million Canadian dollars in the bank, so very well funded still. Um, you know, we we uh, we're fortunate to raise in total. We raised thirteen point six million dollars with the private rounds before going public, and then ten point five million our IPO in January. So, um, yeah, we, we're very fortunate still to be well-funded. It's definitely become more problematic accessing uh, capital for exploration in, in this kind of risk-off uh, environment. And um, you're, you've got a very good infrastructure there, I think. It's, that's one of the positives that I see in that part of Mexico. Yeah, definitely. We're, we're right by the Alginate mine. We're just 15 kilometers north of the city of Caborca, which is a mining town. Most of the Fresnillo staff on the big, big three mines up the trend live out of uh, live out of Caborca, A lot of mining services, and um, yeah, the infrastructure is you know I think sometimes overlooked on these exploration projects. Really excellent. We have a lot of access roads on the property. We could easily tap into the grid. Alchinade is tapped into the grid for for power, so we wouldn't be in a situation where we need diesel generation with with rising fuel costs. Obviously, that's a big cost. So yeah, a lot of advantages and, and very easy terrain to work. The, the there's a lot of places we could easily build leach pads. You know, a lot of some properties you find that do have leachable material that have <laughs> actually put in the infrastructure in because these leach pads are big. 
So we have a lot of land uh, would be easy to construct a, a mine. The, the Alchinade mine next door was built by Capital Gold in 2009, uh, a U.S. group built, mm-hmm. built, and it cost them 36 million U.S. dollars uh, mm-hmm. for 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 a heat bleach uh, depo- uh, plant that could process up to 100,000 ounces a year. So wow, that's great. Talking, exactly. I mean, let's call it 50, 60 million dollars in today's money. Mm-hmm. You're not talking hundreds of millions uh, to mm-hmm. get into production. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I like to see, Michael, uh, I like to see management owning a lot of stock. What's the situation? Who owns the company? Yeah, we, um, yeah definitely we do. Uh, the insiders have 21% of, of the shares outstanding. There's 66 million, and, and everybody is well aligned uh, with the company and very focused. So we also have some good institutional shareholders uh, who are very active in the exploration sector, com- a couple of European funds, commodity capital and Commodity Discovery Fund, very active, uh, Terra Capital out of Australia. And, um, yeah, great to have that, that support as well. So it's great to have the cash, but it's also good to know that you have big institutions that when you need to go and raise money will will most likely be supportive, you know, help with uh, with the next stage of financing. So um, that's definitely a good position to, uh, to be in. All right. Well, wrapping up now, I guess what we should be watching out for uh, is news that comes from La Republicana. Yeah. It's um, definitely going to be the focus, Jay, of the next stage and expanding out around that as well. But like we say, if we can start a show across this kind of 800-meter stretch, similar results to what we just got, then we're starting to build up a substantial deposit uh, straight away. Very good. Well, it is an exciting story. I want to thank you very much for sharing your time with us again, Michael, and uh, we'll look to keep up with your story going forward. All right, folks. Well, that is uh, is the end of this segment. We do um, have to go to break, but don't go away because uh, Alistair McLeod will be with me. Uh, when we come back to talk about a couple of his recent articles, namely an Asian Bretton Woods question mark and his most recent article titled Inflation is Turning Hyper. I hope he's wrong about that. But uh, in any event, if it is turning hyper, well, you know what metal you need to own, right? Okay, well, we'll, we'll be right back with Alistair McLeod, so don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka Project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Alistair McLeod with me once again. Uh, most of you know Alistair because he is one of the most frequent guests on this show. Um, he does write an essay, a very important essay that's timed with market conditions. Every Thursday comes out, and you can uh, you can access that by going to goldmoney.com. It is, uh, I guess it's the research page at goldmoney.com. Uh, and I urge you to read his material. Um, it, it, you know, it's it, it's not light necessarily because Alistair really gets into the to the nitty gritty of what is is underneath the markets and why they do behave the way they do. So uh, it's it's just it's not it's not necessarily the easiest reading, although he explains very difficult topics in a way that we can all understand. And I wouldn't uh, go without it. It's certainly one of the most important things that I look forward to reading every week. So, uh, Alistair, thank you so much for joining me again. That's very much my pleasure, Jay. I would like to uh, have you talk a little bit about a couple of your most recent essays. Uh, I think it was September 8th, the An Asian Bretton Woods, question mark. And then the 15th, the following week, Inflation is Turning Hyper, because uh, I believe those two are very, very important and timely essays uh, that should help people recognize what may be coming down the track and what they and try to be as ready as possible for for these uh, events that if they occur um, in it seems to be that uh, the news that we get from our side is constantly highlighting Putin's military failures so we hear oh Putin thought he could go in there in a week wipe the wipe the place clean and own and own all of the Ukraine uh, look at all the problems he's having and no doubt he is having some problems but it it seems to me that what we hardly ever hear about are Putin's economic gains, the gains that Russia has made as a result of sanctions. Um, In your essay, you stated that Putin was thinking several steps ahead of NATO countries when he invaded the Ukraine. Maybe, could you talk about that a little bit? Uh, Yes, of course. I mean, Putin, I think, had a game plan right from the start. He had an objective, which was basically to get American influence out of European affairs and for um, NATO to uh, move their missiles um, west, as it were, because um, there is no doubt that from his point of view, he feels very much threatened by the presence of of an American-led NATO uh, Mm -hmm. on on his western boundary. So, um, plainly, he had an objective, and that was to get America out. Now, how do we know this? We know this because America has been on the run. Um, Syria was a disaster. Uh, the um, exit from Afghanistan was um, equally a disaster. Um, I think he has made an assessment of President Biden. And while um, President Trump was unpredictable and therefore someone that you had to be very, very careful with, I think he's probably taken the view that President Biden is an is an easier quantity to deal with. And um, he's been, I think, therefore encouraged to at this moment to uh, make his push. And uh, the way he has done it is quite simply is by attacking the um, uh, the the eastern end of Ukraine, which is predominantly Russian anyway. Um, And uh, you're right. the, the campaign hasn't been an unmitigated success. It's been mm-hmm. a bit more a bit more mixed. But the problem I think that we have in the West is that as much as 
Russia feeds out propaganda about its position. The West is feeding out propaganda about Russia's position. Mm -hmm. um, when I read uh, the papers here, I mean, I look at the Telegraph, for example, which um, is very supportive of uh, the Conservative Party in general and is um, uh, uh, very um, supportive of uh, the Conservative Party's um, or, and NATO's uh, position on Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And uh, you hear absolutely nothing um, uh, about, um, you know, any sort of success or any um, plans that Putin has. All you hear are his disasters. And so I think we've got to look at this with um, open eyes. The situation, I think, is um, I, it's 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 not a sort of total win or anything like that for Putin. No, far from it. But what he's achieving, I think, uh, is not so much on the battlefield, but it's economically. Uh, what he has done is he's um, forced um, NATO members into sanctioning Russia, and he has benefited hugely from that. I, there is absolutely no question. Uh, if you read the Western press, you would think that, um, you know, the Russian economy is suffering. It's not mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. doing very, very well. Thank you very much. And uh, I have no doubt that, uh, I mean, Putin is a very canny operator and he will have thought through uh, the likely response to the invasion of the, of the Ukraine. Uh, he would have foreseen uh, the West sanctions against him. And what it has done, actually, and this is the interesting thing, is it's driven um, neutral parties very much into the Asian camp. I would cite in particular the situation for Saudi Arabia. And it was fascinating that um, when um, uh, President Biden went to Saudi Arabia, really pleading for Saudi Arabia to up its oil output so to replace the lost uh, Russian energy output, um, he really got a bit of a cold shoulder. And um, we now discover that actually Mohammed um, bin Sultan is thinking that um, he's got to go and join the BRICS or something. Now, I don't know that's wow. true. But what I do know, and I had this, I had, I interviewed um, a director of one of the big Swiss refiners uh, back in 2014. And he told <laughs> me that the Arabs were sending him LBMA 400 ounce bars uh, for refining uh, and reprocessing into the new Chinese four nines one kilo standard. Ah. And they weren't selling it. They were taking it back in. Now, this mm -hmm. is fascinating. So what I'm saying is that as long ago as 2014, some forward thinkers in uh, the Middle East were beginning to realize that their future is more with Asia than with Europe and America. Mm -hmm. and, wh and what are we doing? I mean, we're, we're, we're turning around and saying we're going to ban all fossil fuels. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of um, a, a more complete set of circumstances to drive um, <clears throat> the world's energy producers very much into the Asian camp. And um, it has allowed Putin to consolidate the position hugely with um, all the nations in, in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the uh, your Asian Economic Union. Um, the BRICS and um, sundry others, uh, simply because he's prepared to sell them oil, gas, coal, and and take payment in their own currencies. 
Now, these currencies are, um, in many cases, um, complete rubbish. I mean, like the Turkish lira, like the Iranian rial, and so on. So, I mean, this what he's doing is he's he is giving these countries his allies, as it were. He's saying, mm-hmm. "You be an ally of mine, and you can get very cheap energy, and mm-hmm. lots of it, as much as you need, in order to industrialize." So, mm-hmm. what's India doing? I mean, they're they're going for it big time. Sure. You know, we, we, we've really shot ourselves in the foot in this one. And I think the game is far, far bigger than just um, Ukraine, if you like. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No question about it. Maybe just take a minute to talk a little bit about how Russia has fared since the sanctions. Well, basically, um, I, I, I mean, it's interesting because if if you talk to a Keynesian, you know, he looks mm-hmm. at uh, the currency and sees the currency having um, actually risen against the dollar. It's the best performing currency in the world at the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- he would say that's deflationary. <laughs> you know, and then you talk to the oligarchs who actually have been squeezed by this because they've lost their yachts and, um, you know, they can't make the trips to London and Paris. <laughs> You know, buy all the fancy kit and so on and so forth. You know, their lifestyle has been cramped hugely by this. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, I mean, just just imagine. I mean, the Russian economy uh, has, um, uh, I think, a flat rate of tax of about thirteen percent. Um, there are really no other major taxes. There's a there's 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 a sales tax, certainly like a like a value added tax. But uh, other than that, I mean, you've got an economy which is not burdened by the state. Um, I mean, okay, property rights could be <laughs> could leave a lot to be desired. Yeah, but sure, you know, basically, if you keep your head down, your nose clean, and just get on with your business, I mean, as an ordinary businessman, you're actually in a pretty good position in Russia. So mm-hmm. it's not nearly as bad as we're making out, making it out. Yeah. Um, there isn't there is another aspect of this, Jay, which um, you might want to come on to, and that is. Um, uh, his plans for, um, uh, if you like, uh, um, underwriting the ruble as a currency. Um, there is no oh, doubt in my mind that yeah. they're moving towards gold. Yeah. Uh, yes, I would like to go. I'd, I'd, I'd like to have you talk about that. Uh, just also would like to mention, I think it was a statistic that I picked up from you, that Russia's debt to GDP is something like 35 percent compared to our 135 percent in the U.S. So, I mean, it seems as though the Keynesians here, as you, I think you'd blame the Keynesians, seem not to fear at all the enormous amounts of debt and the constant wars that are bringing on more debt to finance, um, whereas, uh, you know, Russia seems to be building their their economy in a much more sane way than we are. Uh, yes, that's that's ab- absolutely right. Um, as far as our economy is concerned, uh, we are now in a debt trap. Um, yeah. We have uh, had to expand uh, the um, uh, amount of government debt very substantially over COVID. We just shut down the whole economy and the consequences of that are still working through and um, uh, will require yet more government support, which basically means uh, yet more deficit. Mm-hmm. And uh, now in Europe, and I've yet to see what uh, President Biden is going to be doing, but in Europe, um, the basic approach is to uh, you know, pay much of the excess energy um, uh, costs that uh, both individuals and businesses no. face. No. Uh, uh, I mean, we're, we're um, supposed to be capping energy bills at two and a half thousand pounds per household. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Now, I don't know how they're going to effectively do that, and I don't know what's included. I mean, for example, I have oil-fired central heating. Is that included? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. and how do you how do you work this one with business business have got all sorts of different uh, conditions deals and all yeah. the rest of it yeah. but there yeah. is no doubt there is no doubt that if these energy prices continue to rise um, and believe you me the money will be made available to pay the higher prices which is the point behind inflation mm-hmm. and under those circumstances we can see that uh, budget deficits are going to increase yet more so Far from uh, COVID being a one-off inflationary event, it's being followed by another, and it will be followed by another and another and another, which was the point about the second article that you referenced. Right. Uh, we are, in effect, on the road to hyperinflation, and uh, I have no doubt in my mind about that at all. Okay, so that, that leads me to ask you then uh, to talk about Putin's the one last thing in Putin's jigsaw, uh, and that is a new currency system. And you know, why would he want to do that? Is, is he is maybe you can talk about what would motivate him for a new currency system, and what uh, what kind of a currency system does he have in mind? And he's talking about. Perhaps you could share that with our listeners. Yeah, well, let, let, let's um, address the first point you raised. Um, why is he doing it? Um, I've taken the view for a long time that uh, for Russia and China to declare their gold reserves would rather be uh, like a, a, a nuclear, a financial nuclear weapon, if you like, uh, being triggered. Uh, uh, uh. Um, because, I mean, we, we now know, actually, that uh, Russia, in not only in the central bank, but also in another account, uh, have a total of about 12,000 tons of gold, and it is continuing to accumulate gold. Now, this is more than the declared reserves of uh, the U.S. Treasury. So putting it in that context, this is interesting. This is very interesting. I think that mm-hmm. um, what's happened is that rather than um, the you know the policy in the past has been to let America basically hang itself uh, monetarily, um, mm-hmm. I think now that the 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 emphasis is that um, they can see the hyperinflationary trend uh, very clearly uh, to a large extent exacerbated by the sanctions against Russia, and I think what Putin is now thinking is that he needs to protect himself from a currency collapse in the West. I mean, there's no doubt from his utterances, he's got a pretty good handle on uh, the dangers that we have Mm -hmm. put ourselves in through monetary policy. So I think he's now looking to protect himself. Now, uh, very, very briefly, uh, there are two hairs running on this. The first one uh, is the um, uh, new trade settlement currency that Glazyev, Sergei Glazyev, who's a senior Uh minister, um, he leads a commission um, for the uh, Eurasian Economic Union looking at setting up a new trade settlement currency to do away with the dollar. And um, you know, he's been going round and round in circles saying this thing, that thing and all the rest of it. But it is quite clear that uh, this trade settlement currency can only work properly um, and allow other people to join in if it is purely a new currency which is fixed um, to gold uh, on a daily basis in the various participating currencies. Now, that that is fine. I can understand that. He will get there, I am sure. The thing that's interesting is that separately, um, uh, Moscow has declared that it's setting up a new Moscow gold standard uh, right. because they've been booted out of the LBMA. So, um, 
But the thing that's interesting about this is that um, the person who's actually running this new show is guess who? Sergei Glaziev, the same uh-huh. guy. <laughs> so, and I, th- I think what we're likely to find is that gold, it will indeed be the new um, settlement standard. And this would make sense because from Putin's point of view, he's gone to people like uh, the Turks and the Iranians and so on with their awful currencies and said, we will take payment in your currency. Mm-hmm. I think what he's going to do, he's going to turn around to them and say, we've got this new um, trade settlement currency, which is tied to the price of gold. We will deal with that in future. And I think that would really secure his position. And um, uh, it would also allow other nations in that Asian bloc uh, to come together and put their currencies on a gold standard if they wish to do so. And this is entirely, I think, um, it, it looks to me like this is this is moving towards a sort of master plan, which really means that our fiat currencies are either going to die or at some stage we have got to accept this reality. Mm-hmm. Now, if we do go back on a gold standard, I would say that for all we don't like about President Putin, he will have done us a huge favor by bringing some discipline back into Western currencies. Mm-hmm. I would certainly agree with that. And I, I just um, wonder then, um, there's really no place. Oh, what I was thinking is, I think what was what was proposed was that uh, th- that this new monetary system would include various currencies and various commodities. And why why then are you saying the only way it will work is if it's gold? Why, why this idea of having these various assets as part of the currency is a non-starter from your point of view? Well, I, I think if, if I mean, the, the problem is that the, um, uh, you know, the feed that we're getting through through the media um, is that the current this new currency will be comprised of a mixture of the currencies of the nations participating and uh, the major commodities which they trade. Now, mm-hmm. um, this means that the whole thing would have to be rebalanced all the time. It's, it's, it's from that point of view, it is nonsensical. And every time someone says, oi, we'd quite like to join in this, I mean, you know, um, there's no way that this is actually going to be, a, you know, a, a practical proposition. So the first thing I would say, state is, take the currencies out of it. That is not, the, you know, that's just a distraction. And obviously so. So once you take them out, you're then looking at um, commodities. And um, the other thing you must do is take out this idea that it's going to be the commodities which everybody trades in, you know, giving it some sort of weighting. Mm-hmm. Now, what you need to do if you're looking at a basket of commodities is just take representative samples of base metals, precious metals, agricultural products, which are non-cyclical, um, and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, then what you what you actually end up with is an average, which, believe it or not, pretty accurately tracks the price of gold. So why not around? Just, you yeah. know, just go for gold. And Simplify I, I, it. In the article on the Asian Bretton Woods, I mm-hmm. actually go through the charts and you can see how progressing through uh, the various recommendations and how they should evolve, you actually end up with the obvious answer. Do it in gold. Do it in gold. Yeah. All right. Uh, maybe just touching on your inflation is turning hyper. Um, you ended that article uh, by saying the following. Uh, 
you said, we can begin to anticipate the path to the destruction of purchasing power for all fiat currencies, not just those of Zimbabwe, Turkey, and Venezuela at all. A global hyperinflation is proving impossible to avoid. Why is it impossible to avoid? Um, is, it, is it political? Is it just basically that they have to print money like mad uh, and give it out to people so they can meet these expenses? Or, or why is it? Why couldn't we still, at this late stage, do the right thing and go back to honest money? It's going to be forced I, on us, I guess? I, yeah, I think in a nutshell, Jay, it is political. Um, there is a huge cost, um, uh, economic cost, of returning to sound money. What governments must do in order to do that is that uh, they need to, um, if you like, accept that there is a lot of business in the economy which actually shouldn't exist. It's zombie corporations, if you like. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. that should, they should be allowed to fail. Um, the institutions that support them should be allowed to fail. Uh, and not only that, but, um, you know, you're looking at small businesses and all the rest of it, many of which I'm afraid have uh, accumulated a lot of debt as a result of the shutdown over COVID. They mm -hmm. must be allowed to fail as well. Now, there is no way that um, as a deliberate act of um, economic policy that the political class can contemplate that course of action. They mm -hmm. would far rather try and do what they've done so far, and that is increase their or attempt to increase their control over us to stop markets um, actually um, forcing the pace of change. And that's something which um, they will eventually fail at. So I'm afraid that uh, clamping down on our on personal freedoms and all the rest of it is likely to get more intense uh, before we have a general failure. And it could indeed continue to be yet more intense after a general economic failure. Um, mm -hmm. That is the way of it. This is the politics. This is the, you know, the, the reality of politics. And I think that um, it is really for this reason that when uh, countries start um, uh, on the hyperinflation track and they start and their currencies start um, being rejected by the people, uh, the response basically is to just try and do more of the same to stop it, ha to, you know, to stop it happening. It's, mm -hmm. There is the it, it always happens. I mean, take, for example, the situation over, over prices. We all know that the stupid thing to do is to put this to cap prices. Right. Uh, you know, but I mean, from Diocletian onwards, every politician has done that when they have met an inflation problem. Uh, they know it's not the right thing to do, but they feel they have got no option politically. And this is why I think the politics will be our undoing. All right, with just a minute and a half or two minutes at most, I'd like to ask you about, you had an interesting uh, notation, or an interesting thought in your last, in that hyperinflation article, talking about commercial bankers. They're trying to reduce their loans and how it's going to be thrown over to the central bank. The central bankers then will be, you know, generating liquidity and shoving it into the economy. And you said uh, that this could be the death knell or the death blow uh, the two the coup de grace for, uh, for fiat money. Could you just explain that? Why that th that is the bankers the bankers' role in this whole? Yes, fiasco. I think I, I think the first thing to understand is that every transaction in GDP is actually done with commercial bank credit. It's bank deposits, if you like, being spent, or mm -hmm. bank credit being borrowed. Every transaction. 
Now, when, therefore, the banks decide that there is too much risk and they are, their balance sheets are over leveraged, they will reduce their outstanding bank credit. And as a result, you will find that GDP declines. And I think it's a point missed by virtually every commentator. When an economy declines, it's not necessarily because people suddenly decided to spend less or produce less. It is because the banks are withdrawing credit. Uh Understand that and you'll understand what drives GDP. And you will therefore understand the likely reaction of the authorities to um, a declining GDP. Mm -hmm. So just unleash the central banks, let them print money and helicopter money to everybody and and let her rip, I guess. Well, that's um, something on those lines is bound to happen because, uh, as I said earlier, the politics of it are that they just cannot afford to see an economy go into a deep recession, slump, depression, whatever you like to call it. All right. We'll have to leave it go at that, Alistair. Thank you so much uh, for your insights and sharing them with our listeners. It's always a pleasure having you. My pleasure, Jay. All right, folks, that is it for this week. Next week, Bob Moriarty, Michael Oliver, and Quentin Henning join me. Um, Quentin will be here to talk about Lion One Medals. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 